0: Everybody, and welcome to podcast number 40. Today I have with me an actor, comedian, filmmaker, writer, editor with many thousands of views on social media, appeared in numerous TV shows and film alongside the greats Peter Kay, Steve Coogan, Sasha Baron Cohen. He is a great himself, it's Matt Green. Welcome Matt, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, that's a lovely intro, thank you.
0: Thank you. And um, now you've done a lot of acting and a lot of comedy. So, which came first, the drama or the comedy?
1: Um, probably a bit of both, really. I, I suppose I started at um, school doing various things, um, sort of school plays. Um, but I think always I was into being funny uh, in, in terms of those sorts of things. I would, I was doing sketches and um, sort of writing little funny plays like little um uh, sort of pantomimes and things at christmas and sort of end of school i guess review shows i guess you might call them um at school and yeah so i think i think whenever i did drama there was always a kind of comedic element to it a lot of the time um so when i ended up at university i did a lot of comedy but also some drama as well so i think they've all, yeah they've always been connected but i think i I would always say I was more on the sort of comedy side of things.
0: In Ali G, in the house, you were actually Englefield Green Massive. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what was it like working on that film? I mean, you all look like you were having a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it was, because it was a long time ago now. Um, it's nearly almost 20 years, which feels crazy to think about. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Ali G at the time was a huge thing. And um, I think it was the first one of those sort of, tv to film adaptations for a little while so it was a big deal to be involved in um, it was great i mean i was only on set um for a few days so i didn't get the full sort of film experience but um sasha was very nice martin freeman who was in it as well uh, was lovely and i've worked with him a couple of times um since and he's always been very friendly um but yeah it was uh, it was a it was the first experience i've had of being on a proper film set mm-hmm. i guess it wasn't it was still a british film so it wasn't sort of as you know high tech and everyone in their own incredibly lovely winnebago trailers and things as you might do in in some films but um there was definitely a sense of scale and there was one scene i was in probably the most memorable scene where they do a um a series of sort of body popping all the way along a street to to it's sort of the idea is that the, uh, electricity is sort of flowing down this row of loads of different body poppers and that was kind of quite a cool thing to do because they had this guy with a steady cam and they had like a dozen or more probably more like championship body poppers uh, sort of going down the street and it, it felt like oh wow this is yeah this is scale they've spent some money on this uh, in a way that if you doing on a tv show you sort of cheat it and have two and make it look like there were 10 you know
0: and because and, I mean with him the likes of Steve Coogan Peter K, they're all people that when you're just watching you think oh my goodness anything could happen at any time I mean was it like that that they went off script or did you find there was a lot of improv or did you find it, it was just so intensely rehearsed that it came across as if they were could do anything at any time
1: um I don't I don't think I've ever worked with Steve Coogan, by the way. I think that might be an um, IMDb thing where oh. I, 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 they they somehow claimed that I was in Iron Man and Partridge when I was about 10, which is a thing that yeah. <laughs> IMDb have had on my profile ever since I started, which I've tried several times to get them to delete, and they've never done it. But, no, in terms of the other guys, yeah. Um, I think with Sasha Baron Cohen, I think he was definitely trying things and... Um, he was someone who was quite free on set, although it was a very scripted film compared to the other ones he's done since. I think that's the, um, yeah, that that was quite scripted. And uh, but yeah, definitely in the rehearsals and in the sort of setting up the scene, he'd always be sort of suggesting things and trying things. Um, same with, uh, I guess. I mean, I worked with Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant on Extras briefly. Um, you know, I was in a few uh, scenes on that and. They were definitely, because, again, I think because they had the power of they were in charge, they were directing it and also writing it and also performing it, in Ricky's case, that they have the ability to change things. And if in the middle of the scene they thought, oh, this isn't quite working, they would try something different or they would um, suggest something for someone else. And there's, I think there's a sort of playfulness that comes from that that does create good work a lot of the time. And I think it's, it's about having time, really. I think a lot of the things about being on a film set or a TV set you're very aware all the time of how much every minute counts. Everyone's, there's a lot of people working very hard to make everything work. And if you start messing around, that can cost time. Uh, that can cost people money. And um, so you have to be able to have the time, you have to have the freedom to mess around. If, if they want you to, they have to build that time into the schedule, I guess. Uh, some,
0: I just think that highlights your skill, to be able to adapt quickly rather than just be oh this is my script let's learn that and off we go your ability you're above that you could they could just suddenly say all right we're going to change this whole thing and you just go with it which
1: yeah that does happen sometimes you know I've done some things like I did it um uh I did some days on um a show called Cuckoo a couple of years ago and um which is was was great and that was with Greg Davies and people like that and but, and there was one scene where we weren't quite sure about it. And it wasn't, I'm not saying that I wasn't, I wasn't particularly involved in it, but Greg was sort of thinking, oh, this isn't quite working and stuff. And then we went away and sort of did some work on it and some improvising and some writing. And and we came up with something different. And then, yeah, you just have to, you have to kind of respect the script to a great extent, but also sometimes be aware that, yes, you have to change it um, if it's not working on the day. Uh, and that's, I think that's often the, um, okay. that's that's when the great, that's when the really good stuff gets made is when there's a sort of an awareness isn't there's a freedom to change things if they have to be changed but keep them if they don't uh, and it's knowing the difference is what's uh, what what marks out someone who's really good at it
0: so when you you started with comedy and when did you actually think actually i'm going to be i could be quite good at this i'm not going to i mean did your parents think go and get a proper career <laughs> or <laughs> was it always were they in the business themselves so Sort of you were geared that way?
1: No not at all um no my both my parents have sort of normal jobs and um I think they, they were always very supportive and very happy for me to to do things if that's what I wanted to do uh, and if I was sort of happy and was able to support myself and for the first few years you know there was a lot of temping and and doing various other jobs on the side um particularly when I was the first two or three years I was house of university I was mostly trying to just do acting and writing I wasn't doing anything else I wasn't trying to be a stand-up um I was doing sketch work sketch acting and sketch performing and uh, did a show in Edinburgh and with a friend and stuff but after about three years I'd done a couple of plays and I'd been in a few bits of tv and things but it wasn't exactly sort of every week um and so I felt like I did have to do something else if I was going to carry on and I started doing stand-up as a, initially just as a way to kind of keep busy to do something different and then I kind of quickly fell in love with it and realized that it could be a way to uh, not just earn a living but also have a career and so sort of that became my focus really for quite a long time after that I started doing stand-up more seriously and still doing acting and still doing writing and things on the side but stand-up has a tendency to sort of take over I think um, because it is quite all-inclusive uh, all-encompassing and there's a lot of travel involved, there's a lot of admin involved, there's a lots sort of booking gigs and following up gigs and making sure your diary's full and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, all those different things together meant that um, eventually, after a few years, stand-up was very much sort of what I did. And everything else was uh, something that I'd do as a bonus if it came up.
0: So now the restrictions are about to be lifted, what sort of plans have you got ahead? Have you got a full diary for the rest of the
1: year or...? Um, no, it's it's funny. I feel like this year, the the lockdown year, has been a bit of a, a transition year for me in some ways. Potentially, I've I've done a lot more um, online work, obviously as we all have. But I've I've, I've particularly started releasing lots of videos, um, mixture of sketches and character work, and um, some that's some that are quite sort of topical and satirical, and others that are more just silly sketches. But mostly along the themes of what's happening at the moment what's happening with corona and the all the various things that happen because of lockdown and and things like that and i've I've really enjoyed that i've I've, it's really reminded me of i suppose my early part of my career where i wasn't making sketches and and doing lots more character stuff as well as doing online stand-up zoom shows and things which has also been good um so yeah i don't i don't i don't have a full diary i'm not sort of Yeah, I'm not planning on launching straight back into exactly what I was doing before. It feels like a good opportunity to do a bit of, have a bit of a reset, a bit of a think about what I want to do next. And I think until, in a funny sort of way, it doesn't, you know, I I don't know if we've all felt this, but I feel like although we've had a huge amount of, in, in some ways, a lot of time, a lot of space to think about things, actually, the reality is the pandemic is always in our heads and is always sort of crushing out other opportunities. And so... I think until the restrictions are loosened and things are a bit more back to normal, it's hard to see much further into the future. So I think I want to wait until it feels like you know things are a bit more normal, and then I can sort of see where I want to go next. I def- I'll definitely keep doing stand up, yeah. but I don't know if I'll keep doing it in quite the same way. Whether I'll do sort of try and do every single night doing stand up, or whether I'll, I'll try and do a bit more of a mix of maybe two or three gigs a week, and then do some sketch work and some online stuff and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it, it feels like it could be kind of quite an interesting year or two of working out what comes next you. Really.
0: I know that Graham's been looking at some of your videos that you've done the, and the, there's one about furlough. Graham, I'm going to bring you in with the office because Graham's been working from home and the mm-hmm. um, furlough one in particular I know has tickled him. So.
2: The furlough um, one was particularly good because it's where you actually ask your objectives but I haven't been in the office No, we still have to do the objectives. I'm going to use the objectives from the previous year and what you said. But I haven't been in the office. And then you get to go through, which is very funny and it's very relevant. And then you get to the final bit. Well, we'd like you back in the office. Oh, that would be so good to see all my friends. No, we're not going in. (laughs) You're going in. And I just thought that was just absolutely brilliant on the uh that that was a comedy script that was obviously i in my opinion i thought that was a really good like pull back and reveal and then bang and oh, um, thank you but going in but the other one was the um i thought that was very relevant and uh, the other one was the actual hearts and i've okay I, yeah i hadn't thought about i hadn't ever thought in my mind i would say it took me one minute and i burst into laughter I was like, and I thought to myself, hold on, that's for, no, about 35 seconds to 50 seconds, and I was hooked, and then you took me down this route, down the direction, I was following down the river, but um, how did you come up with Hearts? What was the inspiration behind it?
1: Well, it's a funny one, Hearts. It, it, that was a short film that I made with um, good friend, Joe Bohr, who's a director and comedian as well, and a very good comedian, uh, but he's been doing a lot more film stuff for many years, Um and basically that was a piece of stand-up material that I did years ago, like 10 years ago even, based on a real story, based on the true story of how when I had um, I'd done a Valentine's Day sort of surprise for my wife and uh, girlfriend at the time, and um, I'd spread loads of little plastic hearts all over the bed um, <laughs> as a sort of, sort of as a joke, really. It's sort of a mixture of a joke and a genuinely romantic yeah. gesture. I thought it was funny, the idea of having that. And I thought it was a sort of amusing image. And it was funny, and it was quite quite sweet. But the reality was that then they were impossible to get out of the... So, like, we, we kind of hoovered as many as we could up, but they just ended up everywhere. And like glitter, they just kind of stayed. They just persisted everywhere. And so we kept finding them in our clothes and sort of under the carpet you know next to the carpet and under bits of furniture and for days and days afterwards weeks even months afterwards I would find these little red hearts places and so it became a a, a standard routine I did about how they just got stuck everywhere and how I kept finding them on me and then how I I found a heart next to me on a train and then and then the sort of the punchline was I was in a uh, urinal and I sort of unzipped and then a heart fell out into the urinal and floated down to the man standing next to me And which I always thought was a funny image. And that was a nice bit of material. And my friend Joe remembered this, and I'd stopped doing that material ages ago. But he said, oh, we should make that into a a, a film. That would be a funny image. So I started from that image and then sort of wrote around that and built up a bit more of a story, a bit more of a sort of development of it. And, um, yeah, and then we we shot it. It's funny now to think because we shot it in February 2020, so it was just before all these restrictions came in, just before the lockdown, the pandemic and everything. And I'm so glad we managed to because it, we did it with lots of friends. All the other people in it are other comedians that we managed to rope in. Um, and uh, I think it looks really good. And it's it's come out really nicely. It's on Vimeo. You can watch it. Yeah. Um, so you can you can find it on my website. And um, we, we entered it into various film festivals and it did quite well and got a few awards and accommodations and stuff. So yeah, it was it was really nice, and in a funny sort of way, I think that was actually quite a good because we just made that before the pandemic. I was already in my head thinking about making short films and how to do that. And so when the lockdown started, I was already thinking, well, maybe there's a way of making films at home that I don't have to use other people because obviously it's fun to use other people, you know, have, have other people involved. But if I can just do stuff on my my own, that'd be even better. And that's sort of how it started. With. Mm-hmm.
2: No, the and the other, how did you, what was the inspiration for the music for it? Because when I was listening to the music, it really sets the mood. To I know it's a short film, I'm just sort of focusing on that one. But what how did you come up with the music as well to go with with
1: hearts? Well, it was um, it was something we found online that um, basically we were looking for some sort of jazzy, sort of sexy jazzy music, and then we found basically a jazz. Or Yeah, a saxophone version of the Marvin Gaye song, yep. Let's Get It On, and that just fitted perfectly, really. And then when we edited it in and then kept repeating it, it becomes a slightly Groundhog Day thing where it keeps starting and then stopping and then starting again and stopping and starting again. And it just really worked. The timing of that worked really well. So, yeah, that, that felt like a good choice. Um, and also, I've noticed that you've actually appeared with Graham
2: Lanine. And a lot of... Well, on the... Um... Oh, I can't remember its name on the top of my head now. Garth Maringas and yeah,
1: Garth Marangi, yeah,
2: Garth Marangi. Garth And um, what was it like with so many? Let's say from two thousand from two thousand and five, which from people obviously established in Father Ted, and. Um, with with Graham Linehan, for example, you know, and and Father Ted and the It Crowd, um, did he just act, or did he actually want to contribute? For example, I know it's probably wrong question. Um,
1: well, I, it's only the wrong question because I, I wasn't on set with him, so he didn't. Um, yeah, well, it out then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Never> <laughs> oh, thank
0: God for
1: editing, eh? <laughs> God,
2: thank God for editing that, one, that, one, oh, that yeah, that's what I say every day. Yeah, yeah. That, that one's gone. No, but you've you've appeared with many of what we would actually say um on the on let's say the greats of modern comedy at the moment let's say Richard Ayoade mm-hmm. and um uh, but this all stems from Cambridge and the actual footlights is that where you first connected with everyone
1: yeah definitely um we yes I, I went to Cambridge and um part of the reason I went there was because I heard you know I, I I didn't know I knew one person who'd been there before who was a friend of my dad's but It wasn't like I was sort of um, really well informed about uh, the university or anything. But the one thing I did know about it was that it did have um, a comedy society and um, it was very good for drama. So when I got there, that was one of the first things I sought out. I thought, well, I'd be interested in getting involved in this and I don't know who does it, but let's find out. And I was very lucky that when I arrived, I immediately became friends with somebody who also was interested in comedy. So we sort of had a a connection and we were able to sort of go to the meetings together and go to the sort of introductions and this is how you do it together. And we were also lucky that in our college, there was a sort of uh, a meetup initially of like, you know, uh, people who did the same subjects who we both do English and doing English. And yeah, people who did English in in the upper years I've said that wrong. People who did English who were older than us who said you know what what are you interested in and one of the people who did English two years above us was John Oliver. And so he was already involved in footlights and he was one of the senior people I guess at the time. Uh he was a vice president I think. And so he was he was very like he was very friendly and very like yeah well you know if you want to do comedy do footlights come along this is what we do this is how we do it we do sort of auditions for sketches, just write sketch, come along. You know, we don't really judge you, we just put you on as long as you're not gonna say anything absolutely horrendous, we'll just put you on. And um and that's how it started really and and it was yeah, very it was great. And I think the main thing about footlights from a sort of performance point of view is you just get to do loads of it. You get to perform sketches every couple of weeks. Um you get to write for the bigger shows. You sometimes get to be in those bigger shows. They have a pretty good audience uh, students tend to go along, and so it's a it 's just a really good training ground. Um, I think with comedy like probably anything that you have to work at, you just have to kind of do it for a bit and, and work out if you can do it and getting better at it involves practice. so I think a lot of the people who come through footlights the reason one of the big reasons they come through is because you get that practice. you get to do several shows while you 're a student, and that gives you a sense of whether you want to do it or not plus of course. There are lots of people who've done it before who've been successful, which gives you confidence, which makes you think, well, if these guys, you know, who are five years older than me, they were where I was five years ago and they seem to be doing okay, then uh, it gives you that confidence. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I knew Richard Iwadi uh, at, at university. We did, we did a touring show together when I was in my first year, he was in his third year, Um and so when they were making Garth Marenghi, they got in touch with me and a couple of other people who they worked with. I think basically a lot of the people in Garth Marenghi were sort of friends and friends of friends who they wanted to work with. They didn't, um, because it was sort of slightly, a slightly odd show in a way. They weren't sort of doing these huge auditions where they wanted to bring in stars. They just wanted to use people they knew and people that they knew would get it and would work within what they were doing. And uh, yeah, I was, I was very proud to be part of that. And it's, I think it really stands up.
2: Uh, it it does i mean you can obviously see that when you look through your the acting portfolio and um, the confidence and attitude is is it's first class it's it's top now i noticed in one of your other videos as well which i thought was brilliant it's one of the nicest heckles i've ever seen from anyone yeah which is where the the young lady (laughs) is filming you takes takes a phone call at the same time and Normally I would have said for a, a lot of comedians who I've seen or we've seen, it would have been crucifixion time. Hmm. But you did it so politely and so nicely. I've, I've, I thought that was, but that comes from many years experience, exactly what you were saying earlier.
1: Yeah, that's a funny one, that, because I was filming that. Day. I don't film all my stand-up gigs, but I was filming that because it was for a, it was a show, it was a Camden Fringe show, and I wanted to have a record of it. And, and it happened quite early in the show. It happened, I think, maybe three or four minutes in, maybe five minutes in, where it was a very weird situation where she was filming it. But, and I'd sort of noticed she was filming it and was thinking, I don't know if I, I, maybe I should say something. But then she had obviously somehow pressed the wrong button. And instead of filming it, she started playing it back. Mm-hmm. So playing back what I'd just said. So I literally heard myself saying what I'd said a minute ago. Um, it was a very odd situation, and obviously everyone in the room, because it's quite a small venue, was a bit confused. And and so it was and, and and yeah, it was funny. And she was obviously mortified and was with some friends who were finding it amusing, but she was very upset, not upset, but was very embarrassed. And I think, yeah, that's what you learn, I think, doing comedy over a while is you have to you just have to judge it in the moment. Like she was not being malicious. I think she was just trying to take a little photo or a little video just for her own, you know, whatever, because people do that these days. They just, um, they like doing stuff like that. They like having a record of things. And so I was like, "Mm, I don't want to be nasty to her. It's just me for an hour. I'm not, you know, I'm not, if she's upset or embarrassed for the whole hour, it's not going to be fun for anybody. Just have fun with it, you know, and actually it was really funny and uh, it ended up being a funny little bit. And I was able to then refer back to her, during the show every so often and sort of say, have you got your camera on? And it was, yeah, it was fun. But occasionally, I think you have to, you have to, um, yeah, you have to respond in the the sort of manner in which it it comes to you. So if they are being aggressive and nasty, then you are allowed to be a bit aggressive and nasty back. But if they are embarrassed and they've just made a mistake, then you, yeah. Some people would have been nasty in that situation, but I don't think that, that gets you anywhere. No, I, I, and
2: that, that really sums you up to me from all the, the the videos I've watched is it's very nice and polite on stage and, and therefore you get the best. Is it to get the best out, as you said it earlier, the best out of the audience then and they've bought into you.
1: Yeah. I think, I think you have to be, you have to be in control. Like I like to, I like to play with that with the audience and I think you can, um, you you can be sharp and you can be saying sharp things and and be maybe even quite yeah quite sharp and 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 maybe even aggressive but you can do that in a in a sort of polite way <laughs> then it mm. then it works for me I, and I think it's different I think everybody who does comedy has their own way of doing things and and if you find your voice or you find your way of doing things that is to do with all sorts of things. It's to do with what you want to do, but it's also to do with what the audience Uh will accept from you. Uh And if I came on stage and started trying to be Jim Jeffries or, you know, Frankie Boyle or something, it just wouldn't work. I just don't have that energy. It's not my, that's not my personality. And I think um, you can, you can find ways of doing different things and you can be uh, creative about how you approach things, but in the end you are who you are and you can't, get away from that as a stand-up the audience will see through you I think if you go on stage and try and be something completely different to who you are you can do it as a character maybe but that's a whole different that's an acting job like if you want to be a stand-up you have to have a certain amount of truth a certain amount of reality in what you're doing even if everything you're saying is made up there has to be a sort of baseline of sort of reality somewhere otherwise yeah otherwise it just comes across as fake
2: no thank you very much for that I'll hand you back to my wife
0: yeah. you are a, you are a clean comedian aren't you I like clean I mean I'm sure you can be um huh. as well. <laughs> so you can go from one extreme to the other but generally you are a clean comedian I mean there are a lot of comedians out there who every other word is a swear word which I don't like I can't yeah
1: well it's funny I mean I think <laughs> I think probably my online material is generally clean um I don't tend to share stuff that's more um sweary I do swear on stage sometimes um it depends on where I am again it depends on the context if I'm at a Friday night Saturday night show where it's quite loud and airy and um
0: that's what they're expecting you know,
1: drunken then that's what they expect and it's also what I I don't mind doing that I'm not uh, yeah I'm not a sort of I'm not a prude about it. I'm not like, well, I wouldn't swear. But I, I have felt on, particularly doing online stuff, yeah, it just works better to be, to be clean as far as possible because you then can reach a wide audience and people um, don't feel weird about sharing it or don't feel weird about um, recommending it. Uh, and, and because a lot of the Zoom shows I've been doing this year have been either corporate shows or shows for private parties, so birthday parties and things like that, I'm very aware that I'm in other people's houses, you know, I mean, I'm in someone's house talking to them through the screen. So yeah, I, I might throw in the occasional swear word or the occasional sort of rude bit of material, but I'm not going to be nasty or blue or, you know, aggressive because that would just be inappropriate <laughs> in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If it doesn't add, it would, yeah, it distract, mm-hmm, yeah. doesn't it? So um, is there anything that you would like to promote or tell our listeners about that's coming up or anything while you're on here? Or how they can get hold of you. How you know how they can find your stuff.
1: Yeah, um, well I guess the best thing to do is to go to matgreencomedy.com. That's my website. Um also Matt Green is my handle on all the different social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok. I'm on so many social medias, I don't know what to do with it. Um so yeah, that's I've I've tried to keep that as a as a sort of consistent brand. So if you want to find me on any of the socials uh, matt green comedy is where to go and yeah I'd, you know i'd love people to come and find my videos um i, I share them on twitter youtube and places like that and uh, yeah I, I will start be doing i will be doing live shows i'm doing the camden fringe again this year in august uh, which I, I think i'm doing the second week of august and that'll be i think my first big run of shows um mm-hmm. I don't know how many other gigs I'll have done before then. So it could be quite an interesting sort of experiment of me coming back to stand up after quite a long time and working out how to do it again and working out what else I want to do, whether I might do some sketch work as well or throw in some characters and things like that. Um, But yeah, Camden Fringe would be a great thing to come to. Um, Otherwise, yeah, just find me online. Brilliant.
0: Thank you very much indeed for your time. I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye.
2: Bye.